are listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast with Mark Alden Taylor. Hello, you've just entered the Freeform Rock Podcast. This isn't the Twilight Zone, but we're kind of as nuts as the Twilight Zone. So what's up, Lee? Hey, I'm as pretty as a nutty tutu today. <laughs> nah, not... I'm doing all right. How about you, Mark? You like a banana milkshake or a strawberry? I like the banana milkshakes when you can find okay. those. those are yeah, delicious. right on, man. I like them, too. They don't make my tummy go, ooh. Plus, you get that, uh, well, strawberry, well, they usually put real bananas in a banana milkshake, but they put yeah. they put fake strawberry syrup in a strawberry milkshake, so I'd rather have the real shit. Yeah, me too, man. Right on. I yeah, have a man. banana, too. I'm a banana, you're a banana. Would you like to be a banana too? <laughs> and I and my answer's na 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 and the goat na 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 That's banana na 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 No, I said na 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 No it's banana na na Banana I'll do yeah. it like, I'll do it like the minions. Banana Yeah Banana Oh, <laughs> oh. That's a group I'm not going to hear. Oh, wow. On Wikipedia, on the album we're doing, it, it kind of divides the songwriters. That's awesome. Oh, wow. I like cool. that. All right. Well, today we're going to do the White Album from the Beatles. But before we get into that, we have our newer artist of the week, which I picked. A guy who contacted us it was pretty cool. I like the band. It's kind of punk music. I liked it. The Thick Uns with Reckless Rider, and you picked, uh, how do you say the name? Gengar. Gengar, where I lie, like lie, you're telling a lie, not lying down. So, yeah. let's get into this right now on the Freeform Rock Podcast. Here is The Thick Uns with Reckless Rider and Gengar, where I lie. Enjoy.
That was The Thick Uns, Reckless Rider, and Gengar, Where I Lie. So, uh, well, I picked the White Album today because I was gonna do, we were going to do another one. We we're going to do Queen 2 with Terrence and uh, Greg Barnes, but they're busy this week, so we'll have to put that off for another week. Hi, guys. What are you guys doing? Okay, but um, we shall do that in a next probably couple episodes from now or maybe three episodes from now. We don't know, but... Uh, that's upcoming in case you guys like Queen. So let's get into this album, the White Album, which came out. Whoa, I'm like way off on my. When notes. I was a little kid. When you were a little boy? Yeah, that's when it came out. I was minus two. Minus two and 11 months. No, what? what? Minus one and 11 months. Because it came out November 22nd, 1968. I was born in October 9th, 1970. So this is oh. before my time, but fuck, the Beatles rule. <laughs> they're, yeah. like the, they're like the band that's... My favorite band is Rush, but the Beatles are right there with Rush. They just hover above everything I like. It's just like I never go a, go a week or a day without listening to a Beatles song. So they're just there with oh, me. Oh, I used to... Yeah, I used to always play a Beatles song on the piano when I had Beatles music. Yeah, the Beatles rule. I have this book that I got. It's called All the Songs, the Story Behind Every Beatles Release. I'm just going to read a little bit out of the first page of this about the White Album. It says that the White Album was a collection 
of 30 songs in very different music genres. And it definitely signified the end of the Brotherhood of the Beatles. That's what I thought. When I listen to this album, I hear different, different, you know, different styles from each of the Beatles. It's not very cohesive. It sounds like what they're going to sound like when they go solo. Did you think that too? Um, well, back when I heard it, I just thought, wow, this is kind of a, you know, I, I like Revolver better and Abbey Road and this just sort of like they just cramped up a bunch of songs that they were like rehearsing it it, it 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 sounded more like a rehearsal album to me it sounded like they went in okay let's do this song and get out of here because we can't stand each other i'm going to eat a sandwich you go over there and fix your car let's do this one two three four okay bye so I... it, it sounded to me more like they just didn't want to put in the effort to make it sound is even better yeah and what Paul said we tried to play more like a band this time, only using instruments we had to, instead of just using them for the fun of it. So, um, mm -hmm. and John sh shared, he says in a Rolling Stone interview in 1970, I don't care about the whole concept of Pepper. It might be better, but the music was better for me on the double album, which is the white album, because I'm being myself on it. The new album was the beginning of the end of their psychedelic period. The days of peace and love were over. And it, and it sounds like John is solo, Paul is solo, George is solo, Ringo's just Ringo, you know. But it just sounds yeah. like different. It doesn't sound like a band. It just sounds yeah, like yeah. solo. Songs. I mean, yeah. Now, now I see that. Back then, um, well, I mean, I I knew that that was the case, but I was still trying to listen to it as a whole album, and I just thought <laughs> they were. Um, it sounded like they just were like slapping stuff together and and they were giving it to the producer yeah. what what to do or whatever the was. It, it says although John yeah. and Paul continued to share com compete uh, can share most of the songwriting yeah. George started to seriously compete with them by recording four songs including the great Why My Guitar Gently Weeps even Ringo wrote his very first song Don't Pass Me By. Paul still excelled in writing ballads, Blackbird, and his well rock back in the USSR, and even hard rock, Helter Skelter. As for John, he composed very tender songs, Julia, highly original tunes, Happiness is a Warm Gun, and even his avant garde music revolution number nine. So I, I thought this was pretty cool. And it says, as for poor George M Martin, who was no longer the captain of the ship, he got knocked uh. around and a lot by a lot of his protégés, and then... And from then on, it was very every man for himself. When the White Album appeared, appeared, it was a commercial hit. Although the starkness and electric character of the songs could be surprising at first, this album was considered one of the Beatles' best despite the tension that prevailed in the recording sessions. Uh, a lot of the recordings, where they would have a basic idea and then they would have a jam session to end it which sometimes didn't sound too good. Mm. Um, but, you know, this was fairly small criticism. When, when they did the White Album, I thought we should have made probably a very, very good single album out of it, rather than making a double album. Well, no, I, I agree. We should have put it out as two separate albums, the White and the Whiter album. Uh, a lot of information on a double album. But, you know, what do you do when you've got all them songs and you want to get... Um, you want to get 
rid of them so you can do more songs. You know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, ego in that band, and um, there was a lot of songs that should have just maybe been elbowed or made into B-sides. I think it was an album which could have been made a fantastically good album if it had been compressed a bit and condensed. But a lot of people I know think it's still the best album they made. So it's not my view, but um, horses for courses. Well, you can always say that. You know, say, perhaps I'll go with, uh, not definitely. I mean, in fact, I think it's a fine little album. I think the fact that it's got so much on it is one of the things that's cool about it. Because it's, it's a very varied stuff, you know, Rocky Raccoon, Piggies, um, Happiness of Warm Guns, that, that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, I think it's a fine album. You know, I'm, I'm not a great one for that. You know, maybe it was too many of that. Look, what do you mean? It was great. It sold. It's the bloody Beatles White album. Shut up. Uh. So that was pretty... It seems like they're going, fuck you, George. We're going to do our own shit now. Just watch. <laughs> yeah. That might have been their mistake, but they did it. So, um, you know, we can't go back in time. Yeah, so let's get into this album, shall we? get into the All right. first song which I picked you would have picked it too but you picked your other three yeah so here's back in the USSR by the Beatles and this isn't for Trump this is for us back uh -huh. in the USSR by the Beatles on the freeform rock podcast Hey! 
that was back in the USSR. What did you think of that song, Lee? It's actually probably maybe my favorite song on here. And the only reason I didn't pick it was because there's so many songs to pick that I was just thinking of whatever I thought of um, at the moment I was thinking of songs. But no, this is... um, I don't know if you've heard um, any of the remixed version of this album. All it is is just they kind of boost up the instruments and stuff, but it sounds more like it was recorded yesterday. And, and, and this song definitely sounds like like a really cool song that someone could possibly put out now. You know, um, it, it, um, it still sounds fresh. Yeah, um, I just got the remaster, the new remaster that just came out, and uh, I haven't listened to the Escher sessions yet, the demos. Oh, okay. But but yeah, it, you got it sounds you, you got really the good. one I'm talking about. You got the one I'm talking about. Yeah, okay. it, it sounds oh, yeah. really good. I love it. Um, I remember back in the day, and back when I was a kid, um, we used to go to the library, and you could like. Uh, check out books and out uh books records tapes yeah i checked out back in the ussr and stayed in my mom's car uh i checked out the white album i kept listening to back in the ussr like a million times I, oh yeah i the beatles were my first favorite group him and foreigner and me, i just, well beatles for me too yeah this is the this is a great song it's a great rocker kind of reminds me of like uh the beach boys <laughs> you know oh uh, yeah yeah kind of and it even says that uh, it shows a picture in the book, Mike Love and John walking in the streets uh, somewhere in February. Paul, oh. not in his photo, wanted to offer a tribute to the Beach Boys with the backing vocals and back in the USSR. With the woo-hoo-hoo, you know, that sounded like the Beach yeah. Boys. And it says the yeah. genesis of this song, Back in the USSR, was a parody of Chuck Berry's Back in the USA. Paul pictured oh, yeah. as a Russian traveler coming home and joyfully finding his native land the mountains of Georgia, and the charm of his country's women. Mike Love, the singer of the Beach Boys, who stayed in Ripakesh with the Beatles, remembered, I was sitting at breakfast table and McCartney came down with acoustic guitar and he was playing back in the USSR. And I told him that one, told him that you ought to do is talk about the girls around Russia and the Ukraine and Georgia. Paul took this into account and finished writing the song upon returning from India Ken Mansfield, the CEO of Apple in the United States, also claimed he made a few suggestions to Paul about this song. Yeah, do you know of? Uh, but they also do a parody. I'm, I'm in the like a pun. The, there's a song called Georgia on My Mind. That's uh-huh. actually about the state of Georgia in in the United States. But that, but but when they say that Georgia's on my mind, that that's sort of a wink to people who know that song. Yeah, and it's a proposing a song in 1968 <coughs> celebrating the joy of returning to the Soviet Union was pretty risky. This was during the Cold War, and getting chummy with the USSR was frowned upon. Some people huh. called the Beatles anti-American, which led John to reply with his usual irony, that is very accurate, except we are not Americans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was funny. And also, the musicians on this song was Paul, vocal, bass, piano, lead guitar, and drums. Paul is an awesome guitar player, man. And then John oh, played yeah. bass, rhythm guitar, backing vocals, hand claps, and snare drum. George lead guitar, ba- bass, backing vocals, hand claps. Man, this group did a lot of shit. It looks like Ringo didn't do shit on this yep. song. And Paul uh-huh. wrote this. And it was recorded in August tw- 22nd, 23rd, Studio 2, 1968. Number of takes six. Pretty cool, man. 
And then also, oh, yeah. it says for Beatles fanatics, in 1988, Paul released an album of rock covers exclusively for the Soviet market called Chernobyl which was a Russian translation of back in the USSR. Hmm. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. And then we get into the next track, Dear Prudence. Uh, you know Susie and the Banshees did a cover of this song? I did not know that. You should go check it out. It's pretty cool. All right, well, let's get into the song. What did you think about this one, Lee? Um, this this one I always thought was kind of like, uh, not, not. It sounds to me more like a song Pearl Jam might have written, and they're probably going to use it on a new album. Like, like one, like, 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 so sort of like a second-rate Pearl Jam song. That's what I think. Uh, it's funny how I, I said uh, Susie and the Banshees. It says for Beatles fanatics, Susie and the Banshees performed an excellent version of this song, which rose to third place <coughs> on the British charts in 1983. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love oh. this song. I love the way Paul, uh, Paul uh, not Paul, uh, John's voice sounds on this. It sounds like solo John. I just love it. He says, "Dear Prudence, yeah. won't you come out and play?" I just like. Well, you can love it. <laughs> I love this song. And says the, yeah, genesis, okay. you the, take it. the genesis of this song is when the Beatles arrive in Ribic. I, I don't know if I'm saying this. This is some Indian Ribikesh to follow um, the transcendental yeah. meditation teachings of the Marashi Yogi, whatever. Mia Farrow and the sister Prudence had already been there for a while. Recently divorced from Frank Sinatra, Mia inadvertently became the subject of a scandal that prompted jo John and George to leave India early and inspired the song Sexy Sadie. But prior to the incident, Mia's sister Prudence was the center attention of the entire ashram. She lived as a recluse in her little chalet, spending all her time meditating in solitude. They selected me and George to try and bring her out because she would trust us explained john he wrote a song for her on this occasion dear prudence won't you come out to play we got her out of the house she'd be locked in there for three weeks and she wouldn't come out trying to reach god quicker than anybody else the pharaoh sisters inspired two extraordinary john lennon songs well, that's cool ah uh, oh yeah and and the songwriter john wrote this john vocal acoustic guitar paul bass drums piano backing vocals bugle hand claps tambourine George lead guitar, vocal, and hand claps, and no drums by Ringo again. Where's Ringo in this album so far? He's like, <laughs> just, it says since Ringo left the group on August 22nd, the three remaining Beatles met and tried at studios in London on August 28th and used eight-track technology. So he wasn't even there. Ah, oh, weird, huh? Yeah, maybe he had good sense, realizing that they weren't putting together one of their better albums. I like this song though. You should check out the oh. Susie and the Banshees uh, cover. They're pretty cool. It has to be better than this. All right, and then we get into one of my favorite John songs of all time called Glass Onion, which you picked Yeah. as one of your three songs. So here we go. Here's yeah, we always, we always agree. Right on, man. Here's Glass Onion and Paul was the walrus on a Freeform Rock podcast. I told you about strawberry peels. You know the place where nothing is real Well, here's another place you can go
That was Glass Onion by the Beatles. What did you think of that song, Lee? Why'd you pick oh, it? Oh, yeah. Um, back when I was a little kid, <laughs> my my sister had a Beatles songbook, and I didn't know what was meant by onion. I, I, I actually thought it was like union. And like and I thought, well, what's a glass union? I didn't know what it was about. It was almost like, we're going to put your fence up, ma'am. And we're going to go to the glass union, and kind of like, well, okay, whatever that means. But, but then I heard the song. It's 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 a cool. It, it's it's a weird funky song. It's it's got a good funky beat, but it's also weird, and that's what I like about it. It has that I am the wall with weirdness to it. Yeah, but it, the lyrics actually make sense <clears throat> in this song compared to I am the walrus. Mm-hmm. Well, sitting on a cornflake. What the hell is that? An acid trip? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, I love that song also, but the lyrics are pretty out there in I Am No Yeah, Wars. that's what I that's why he's one of my favorite writers and I was influenced with him when I wrote stuff. Yeah, John is my favorite Beatle. Uh John is my second favorite Beatle. Paul is my favorite. But this song is kick ass. It's one of my favorite songs. I like he says he says yeah. the walrus was Paul. You know, that was an homage to Paul saying he loved Paul. But they were also yeah. breaking up at the time, so it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is a great song. And it um, it also says, Glass Onion was the name that John p- planned to give to the Ivies, a group of st- stable of Apple Records that gained some recognition in early 1970 and finally chose the name Badfinger. The working oh. T- the working title, with a little help from my friends, had been a Badfinger boogie. Glass Onion was a strange song that John wrote for the fans who found clues and double entendres in the Beatles lyrics. The lyrics directly reference the song Strawberry Fields Forever, I'm the Walrus, Lady Madonna, and Fool in the Hill, and Fixing a Hole. John took pleasure in sewing uh, fanciful clues. I threw in the line, the walrus is Paul, just to confuse everybody a bit more. 
It could have been the Fox Terriers, Paul. He explained I, John, was feeling guilty because I was with Yoko and I was leaving Paul. He hoped this little illusion would make him happy. The show, thanks for Paul maintaining the group's cohesiveness for such a long time. This is a perverse way of saying to Paul, here, have this crumb, this illusion, and stroke, stroke, because I'm leaving. <laughs> Dang. Oh, okay. What a dick. <laughs> wow. He uh -huh. was saying, hey, Paul, I love you, but I'm actually leaving, dick. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And this song was only two minutes and 17 seconds, man. What a great song. Yeah. And it says, John was vocal, rhythm, guitar, Paul, bass, piano, flute, George, lead guitar, Ringo, drums, and tambourine. Hey, we got a Ringo sighting. Yeah, right on. He came for the good song. Yeah, it's awesome. This is cool. And it says, on September 11th, six years to the day after recording Love Me Do, the Beatles worked on the same basic rhythm track with Glass Onion. That's pretty cool. And then we get into the next yeah. song, which everybody knows and everybody sings along to. Oh, ob la di ob la da. What do you think of this one? Uh, I always thought, as a little kid, I thought it was cute. I, I liked, I well, I used to read the words when I had the songbook and I hadn't heard the song yet, but I liked the words and I think I wrote songs that were meant to be like that. And then, and then I heard the song, it's okay, it's, it's it's a song that I only really feel like dancing to if I find a dog who wants to dance with me. Then I'm then I can hop around and sing to it, and it's cool. But on my own, I don't do that. Well, I think this is a freaking cool track, man. I like this song. It's a great sing along. It's fun. You can sit yeah. there and dance to it. I love the piano. Boom, happy ever after in the marketplace. And uh, I just love this. And he, Paul, wrote this while he was in India. I'm not going to say that city anymore because I can't. I'm probably like butchering it. It says <coughs> a song that was extremely remote from the meditation environment and the teaching of the mariachi. You can see it is a prototype of some of his post-Beatles songs, with the words have no real meaning but infectious musical power, full of optimism and energy. I love that. Oh, yeah. And it says, for Beatles fanatic, the group Marmalade did a version of this song in early 1969 that remained at the top of the British charts for three weeks. Oh, I, I don't like them that much, but I'll, I'll, I'll take a chance on that song. The number of takes of the song was 23. Paul was vocal, bass, percussion, hand claps. John Piano, backing vocals, percussion, hand claps. George, acoustic guitar, backing vocal, percussion, hand claps. Ringo's back again, drums, percussion, and hand claps. And it says, oh. question mark on two people played saxophones and unknown musicians, Rex Morris and Ronnie Scott. Hmm. And then okay. we get into one of the crappiest songs I've ever heard in my life. I don't know what you think about this, but Wild Honey Pie. Oh, um, I think it's really out there and cool. It's, 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 it's. It's cool because, well, I mean, it's not really like a song. It's more like just a joke. And so, um, I, I mean, it's not great, but as a joke, <coughs> kind of like, you know, Paul sometimes would do little funny things like that. It's, it's, it's kind of like if the monkeys were on an acid trip and they just wanted to do some, like, zilch or 
Band Six, or you know, like one of those throwaway novelty things. It's, it's, it's all right, but yeah, it 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 could have been left off. Well, you you brought up the monkeys, and this week I I was listening to the monkeys two CD set greatest hits or whatever, and oh. I realized they only have seven good songs, and the rest of that shit album is shit, and the rest of their songs are shit. So the monkeys suck, and they're a poor version of the Beatles. Just wanted to get that out there. And I was, oh, but no, Headquarters is a hell of a lot better than this album. Oh fuck, dude! I I listen to I I know the seven songs. I think those are the seven songs that are played on their show. The show rules, but the rest of their music. Fuck! I hate it when Michael Nesmith sings. It's like, what is this country hack? I like his music. Oh god! Who the fuck the is best. who the fuck is Auntie Griselda? I love that song. Fucking I had I, my mom sit down and write the lyrics to it because I didn't know what they were. Oh my god, I hate the monkeys now. I love seven songs and that's the only songs that will ever be on my no! iPhone. Oh, oh god. If you well, want to review a monkeys album, I will do it, but I've been, bl- no, I've, been bl- not- I've been blinded by those seven songs for years and then I finally sat down and listened to a whole album and I go, oh my god, this sucks. Are you like the kind of guy who... The only Rolling Stones song you ever heard was Miss You, and then you heard, Oh my God, I found out they have 600 other songs. Where do I begin? Uh. I went through those 600 other songs by the Rolling Stones, and they fucking kick ass. Not the monkeys. All right, then. then right on. We agree on everything, man. That's why we do this show. Cool. Right. I hate the song Wild Honey Pie. It just, like, hurts my ears. Honey Pie! Like, oh, oh, fucking ball, what the fuck did you do? (laughs) And it says, Wild Honey Pie was a short song written in India. The Beatles had just recorded John's song, Your Blues, on August 20th in the the storage area of the control room in Studio 2. They were in an experimental mood, and Paul said, can I just make something up? And started off with a guitar, did a multi-tracking experiment in the control room. Maybe with a little room next door, Paul built himself a superimposing harmonies over harmonies, guitars over guitars, and sculpting with a lot of vibrato on the strings. Pulling the strings madly, he added bass to them, buried in the reverb and percussion, probably hitting back of the acoustic guitar. The model mix was done right away, and the stereo was done on October 13th. I don't like it. I think it was cool. And it says, Beatles Fanatics, the Pixies version of Wild Honey Pie needs to be listened to for its amazing energy. I don't know, because I don't like the original version. Well, I like well, I like the Pixies, so I'll be intrigued to hear what they can do with it. I, to me, that, that sounds weird. Like, like I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think that they would do it, but that makes me interested. Hmm. I gotta pick a I fifth, mean, I gotta pick a fifth song on this, just to get through this huh. I'm sorry I'll do it oh. I'll, I'll tell you when it comes up well let's okay because I just looked and I go I love that song and, then and we I'll get, tell you whether or not I agree and then we get into the continuing story of Bungalow Bill and I heard this song is what set Manson off to be crazy but I don't know what do you think I think it's a boring song that just kind of like I wake up eight hours later and still singing the next Hey, Bungalow Bill, you know? So it's like like I, I start listening to it, then I sleep, and then a day later I wake up and it's still on. And I'm like, well, hey! That's yeah, I, I don't... This song is okay. I wouldn't skip it. I think I hear Yoko Ono in it, in the backing vocals, and I just read it. Yeah, she is. And I don't yeah. like her voice. It's terrible. Oh. 
And this song was recorded on my birthday in 1968, two years. So this song is two years older than me, exactly, which is cool. <laughs> so, huh. it's a genesis of the song. They recorded it in India, made it possible for the Beatles to regroup and write considerable number of songs. The healthy food and peaceful aspect had rather beneficial effects on John, even though the meditation affected his sleep. See, I'm so tired. He once again found creative muse. He drew many ideas from his life and at the ashram. Um, I don't really care for this song. Like I said, it's a <clears> cool <throat> track, but it says, for Beatles fanatics, on the left channel in the stereo, you could hear someone in the distance go, ooh at point thirty and 30 seconds in the song. It only took three takes to record it. Mm. And then we get to the next track, which is the track I'm adding to this, is While My Guitar Gently Weeps. So here's While My Guitar Gently Weeps on the Freeform Rock Podcast. Inverted. No one alone. 
that was while my guitar gently weeps. What did you think of this song? Yeah, well, it, it it wouldn't have been one that I picked unless it was on a George solo album. Then I would have picked it. But I I, I think it's it's okay. I, I I think it's a song that um the well song itself is good. I just think it's a little bit slow. I think it needs some other group to do a, a little more heavy um, feedback version of it. And and but that's just me. But but yeah, it's it's a good song. It's just that it, it to me it sounds like the group Cream when they were really tired and they didn't get their coffee. That's just <laughs> me. I love this song. I love George's voice on it. Look at you. And I just love the way he sounds on it. You could tell it's a. It could have been on All Things Must Pass. I think it would. Yeah, have been actually, on that album, it would have. Then it would have been classic. But just on this album, it, it 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 sounds like it needed to be speeded up a little bit. Well, the genesis of this song, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, is one of George's greatest achievements. The magnificent song made it possible for George to reestablish his status as a writer on par par with John and Paul. The lyrics of the song were inspired by I Cling Ying Jing, the, bo the Book of Changes. I was thinking about Chinese I Ching to the Book of Changes in the West. We think uh, of coincidence as being something that just happens. It just happens. I'm sitting here and the wind is blowing on my hair and so on, but the Eastern concept is whatever happens is all meant to be and there is no such thing as coincidence. Every little item that's going down has a purpose pretty cool yeah yeah i i can i i can now i know why they did this album because it's like well should this song be on there well everything has a purpose okay let's put all the songs on here all right well it, for who played on the song george vocal acoustic guitar organ john rhythm guitar is bass question mark paul bass piano organ backing vocal ringo drums tambourine and eric clapton played lead guitar on this song that's yep. probably why you said queen, uh, cream, not queen. Yeah. I mean, he also had Eric Clapton go on a cream song called Badge. I love that is, song. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little bit better than this, but they both are about the same. I, I That song needed to be a little bit heavier, too. And um, for Beatles Fanatics, after weeks after the end of recording, George gave... Um, uh, Acrete of the White Album to um, Acid Tape, I think. Uh, the White Album to Eric oh. Clapton. But when George heard Clapton played on the Acid Tape for his friends, George was furious and called him to forbid him from playing the record to anyone else. <laughs> so he played it oh. to other people. I think it's Acid Tape, right? Acid, A-T-A-T-E? Acid Tape. okay. That's like a, yeah. a demo, right? Yeah, it's it's they, they, they put it on a record, but it's a record that's like sometimes it's um, metal plating, sometimes it's 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 a record that they don't intend to play more than maybe once because it's not meant to really be played. It's meant more of a like to stamp other albums because if if they play the acetate too much then the grooves will wear off, but they can use it to to press other albums. Kind of oh, like a mold. That's kind of like a mold where they have the original master on there and they just they yeah. pop, 
It's like burning a record, except it's yeah. making a record. Okay. Yeah. If 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 you ever see just um where people clean albums with wood glue, um, and then if they peel it off, it looks like an album in the imprint. And some people actually play the wood glue album, and you can hear it. You can hear music, but it's backwards. But but if you put on just for your own pleasure playing wood glue album, you'll see what I mean. And it's pretty out there, but it's it's kind of cool. All right, now we get into the last track off side one. Happiness is a warm gun. What do you think about this one? That actually sounds like someone played a wood glue album and they pressed it. Um, it's it sounds like he was starting to write a good song, then he got mentally unbalanced and weird and continued writing the song, and um, it didn't really help much. It's... Some parts of it I like and some I don't. It's like a weird roller coaster ride where some of it's a little bit smooth and then other parts are really bumpy, and I'm like, hell, I don't want to hear the... So, but some of it's... Yeah, um, I think if the song was recorded today by a new artist, there would be protest talking about a gun. <laughs> just oh, talking. yeah. And it, yeah. John, John wrote this song, the genesis of the song, one day when George Martin handed John a gun magazine, he did not suspect that he had just given him a new idea for a song. The illustration on the cover was a smoking gun with the title, Happiness is a Warm Gun in Your Hand. John specified in 1971, I thought it was fantastic, insane thing to say. A warm gun means you just shot something. Around this huh. idea, he developed a succession of sentences that piqued the curiosity of the Beatles fan. Ken Mansfield, the American CEO of Apple Records, remembered asking him about the meaning of the sentence. She's well acquainted with the touch of a velvet hand, like a lizard on the window pane, and getting the answer, nothing. I just made it up. But on that day, huh. John revealed a secret to him. We've learned over the years that if we wanted, if we wanted to write anything that just felt good or sounded good, it didn't. And it didn't necessarily have to do with any particular meaning to us. As odd as it seemed, reviewers would take it upon themselves to interject their own meaning of our lyrics. So why strain your brain? Sometimes we sit and read other people's interpretations of our lyrics and think, hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, well, that's so how I feel. I used to write stories where, all I, where I purposefully wrote it weird to try and... Um, trip people out, but they would read and they would say it was normal, and then I'm starting to get a little frightened of those people. Yeah. Well, it also said, neitherless, he was accused of alluding to heroin, which got the song banned from the BBC. They all said they said it was about drugs, but it was more about rock and roll than drugs. He, tried, he said to defend himself during an interview in 1972, Yoko was at the center of the song since their relationship had just begun. John admitted that when they were not in the studio, they were in bed. She was the mother yeah. superior of the lyrics, since John used to privately call her mother. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. I would never call my girlfriend or fiance or wife mother. <laughs> yeah, um, people people do that when, when they have children. They'll say, hey, dad, or hey, mom, and, and they'll do it because they want the kids to call them mom and dad. So they start calling themselves mom and dad, and sometimes one of them will say, will you stop calling me dad? I'm your husband not your father damn yeah. it you and, know so and, sometimes there's that 
And this song, oh, yeah. this song took 70 takes to make. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of studio time. And uh, also, It probably took me 70 times to finally get through it. Yeah. And then we get in, and then it says the for Beatles fanatics, the structure of different parts of the song inspired the song Paranoid Android by Radiohead on their album OK Computer, which came out in 1997. Oh, okay. And the original sus- uh, suspects played on this, John vocal, lead guitar, piano, Paul bass, piano, George lead guitar, backing vocal, Ringo drums. And then we oh. go to the side what is it side two of the first album since this is a double record we get into martha my dear what do you think of this song i i think it's cute i i don't love it but it's okay i i think it's it's a good song but maybe not not as good as his best kind of like a second rate um, wings tune, but second rate, not tenth rate. Well, it said that I like. It's a cool song. I don't skip it. There's a lot of good songs, and there's come some bad ones on this album. But I like this song. Uh, Paul revealed the identity of Martha is the heroine of his song when he told when he told but Barry Miles it was his own dog, a three year old English sheep sheepdog. The song was written in October 1968. No more than three days before going in, into the studio, when Paul composed the music, he tried to overcome his limitations on piano. It's quite hard for me to play. It's a two-handed thing, like a little set piece. And some lyrics popped into my mind for no apparent reason, such as Martha, my <clears> dear. <laughs> so it's about his sheepdog. Yeah. Pretty weird, huh? Well, it's like yeah. Freddie Mercury wrote a song I... about his cat. <laughs> so... Delilah. Pepper about a dog. Yeah, I wrote a song long ago called Pepper about a dog who um, I, I used to visit because I, I, I wouldn't visit the people. I would go and visit their dogs. And um, I went to visit Pepper. And then um, and then I heard a rumor that Pepper had died or some that, that you know, and, and so I, 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 I was kind of sad. So what I do is I then put a um, last part to the song talking about poor Pepper and how he died. But then later, I, I just happened to walk by and I saw the people who owned him and I asked him, what's, um, 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 when did he die? And they no, he didn't die. He's still around. He's just old. So we keep him in the backyard. And I went, oh, wow. And so I, I then realized he was still alive. So then I wrote Pepper 2. Like, remember this? And I started out like, remember I told you that Pepper had died? Well, that was a lie. And um, he's back again, Super Pepper, you know, something like that. Yeah, and uh, none of the Beatles played on this song except Paul. Well, none of them played on my song Pepper. <laughs> Those jerks. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I guess I can forgive them for playing on their own song. Okay, let's get into the next track, a John tune called uh, I'm So Tired. What do you think of the, about this one? Um, it's, it's, it's a song that, um, I usually would skip, but I would get too tired to get up, so I wouldn't, by the time I get up to change it, it's already over, but it's, no, for a song that I would ordinarily skip, it's probably the best of those types of songs. 
I just noticed a lot of these songs are like under four minutes and two minutes. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, they get a lot. To me, it, it seemed like that 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 was the extent of how long they could stand being in a room with each other. That's why they made them short. I like this song. It's a pretty cool song. I'm so tired was another song written in India. Sleep and dreams, recurrent themes in John's work. See, I'm only sleeping. Pete Shotton, uh, Shotton or whatever, pointed out that the only thing John hated more than going to bed at night was waking up the next morning. John could not stand the long hours of the daily meditation he practiced in India. He was depressed about his dead-end marriage with Cynthia and Yoko, who was incessantly reminded him of her by, by means of almost daily letters made him confused. He says, John was losing sleep over it. He confirmed in 1980, I couldn't sleep. I'm meditating all day, and I couldn't sleep at night. The story is that of all his talent that required for him to transform banal insomnia into such insistent texts, lack of sleep put his nerves on edge, and for, and for that he blamed poor Walter Riley, a 16th century British explorer, a writer introduced tobacco to England. John did not forgive Sir Walter for his addiction to tobacco and and curse Sir Walter Riley. He was such mm -hmm. a stupid. He was such a stupid git. Paul interpreted the song as very much John's comment to the world, as John found it was one of his best songs, one of his favorite tracks. I just like the sound of it, and I sing it well. Hmm. Yeah. And all the Beatles were on this song. It's for Beatles fanatic. At the end of the song, John whispered incomprehensible words backwards and forwards. Mark. Lushwin heard Masur Masur about another one. Others heard Paul is dead, miss him, miss him. But if you listen carefully, the phrase is completely incomprehensible. John had no doubt added a tape loop which he had recorded a sentence. The results had no meaning. <laughs> so this is where the Paul is dead thing came from, huh? Uh, yeah. 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 I think people hear what they want to hear, you know? Yeah. People hear pizza and right away they're get out of my way asshole i'm coming in the door <laughs> you know? all right well we get to the next track blackbird what do you think of this one um i like it better than than most of the stuff off of led zeppelin 3's acoustic side but only just one percent better it's it's a throwaway but but, um, not horrible. I love this song. It's a, it's a beautiful song, and Paul's voice is so great on it. It was only Paul, vocal, acoustic guitar, and full tap, foot, foot tapping. Genesis of the song, Blackbird is certainly one of Paul's greatest successes. Paul wrote Blackbird at his farm in Scotland, and music was inspired by John Sebastian Bach's Bayor in E minor, a piece that George and Paul had learned to play at an early age. Part of its structure is a particular harmonic thing between the melody and the bass line, which intrigued me. Paul developed the guitar <clears throat> technique all his own that was different than the traditional finger-picking. Denny Lane, his future partner in Wings, had acknowledged Blackbird as one of Paul's greatest compositions. It's such a simple melody to play. Every time I play it for people, they cannot believe something so simple to play could sound so good, but Paul, in fact, and one of the fa facets of Paul's incredible genius. <laughs> and it says, for Beatles fanatics, one of the most amazing remakes of Blackbird is no doubt by one of the greatest bass player, bass player, 
Jaco Pastorius, who in 1981 recorded a version played on his fretless bass. Hmm. And it also says, Paul's feet, it was long claimed that the percussion in Blackbird was the sound of a metatron, metatron but indisputable factors prove that this is incorrect. The tempo fluctuated and started between 89 and 94 BPM, which is impossible for a mellotron. In fact, a film was made during the recording of Blackbird, see the documentary that accompanied the CD of the remastered album in 2009, in which one could clearly see Paul tapping his feet. Francie Swartz is it was a girlfriend who was present during the recording has confirmed yeah, this she? Was he lifting his feet up and down, making sure he kept tapping? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get into a George Harrison. Yeah, come on, Paul. Tap your tune. Tap your feet. You, this is a good song. Don't get bored, Paul. Finish. Tapity tap tap. Don't tap back. <laughs> All right. And then we get into Piggies by George Harrison. What do you think of this one? It's funny, but also psychedelic in a way that as a change of pace it's a good song but it, it's it's I, I I think it would have been better on Sgt. Pepper or something it, it has more of an orchestral vibe to it it would have been better than Within Without You <laughs> yeah it would have been yeah, uh, I, I think the song is cool. I like it. It says, For Beatles fanatics, during the September 19th recording session, George played something for Chris Thomas, a new song he had just written in which he was not confident. Later, he thought of giving it to Jackie Lomax, See Something. So that's pretty cool. And he played that <laughs> on Abbey Road, right? Something was on Abbey Road. Yeah. So this was released. I think Abbey Road was their last. What was their last? This was recorded last, right? Um, it's really hard to say which was recorded last. I think they released them. They recorded but, Abbey Road, but... Re I think they recorded Abbey Road before this. But mm. I think that their very last album that they recorded was Let It Be. But if he recorded this September 19th, he came up with something during that, then Abbey Road had to be after this album. Um, oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's... it's <laughs> They, they yeah. recorded albums and put them out later, it seems like. Yeah. It says, Piggies was an, a social criticism in which George bashed the establishment and the middle class. The rather simplistic message was not among the Arthur, author's meaningful ones. George, who usually flirted with Indian philosophy, let it go and gave it all he had. Everywhere there's lots of piggies, piggies' lives. You can see them out for dinner with their piggy wives. He had trouble with this one. His mother came to rescue and suggested what they need to do is a damn good whacking. Lennon contributed the lying, clutching forks and knives to eat their bacon. Unfortunately, Piggies is one of the songs of the White Album, fatally misinterpreted by Charles Manson and his family in 1969, see Helter Skelter. After murdering La, the LaBianca La couple using knives and forks, on August 10, 1969, the family wrote Death to Pigs on the wall of their residence in the victim's blood, as they did after the murder of Roman Polanski's wife, Sharon Tate, on the front door in Tate's blood. Wow. Stupid Charles Manson. So, freaking, if George Harrison never recorded this, those people would have never been murdered. Maybe? <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> Let's let's get to the next song, a fun little ditty called Rocky Raccoon. What do you think of this one? 
Um, I I don't like it. You don't That's like all it? I have to say. <laughs> I think it's a cool song. I said Genesis is a song sitting on the roof of the ashram in, in India while Paul was playing guitar. John, Paul, John, and Donovan tried to find lyrics to the melody. The three musicians <laughs> developed the story around a cowboy named Rocky Raccoon, but Paul changed Rocky Sasson. But Paul changed it to Rocky Raccoon. Paul reworked the song, but he was uncertain of the lyrics, changing verses as he went along until the recording session. This parody of a western saloon where cowboys and alcoholic and an alcoholic doctor and the Gideon's Bible had no other purpose than to be entertaining. Many artists have recorded cover versions oh. of the song. I, even though John did not really like them saying, I saw Bob Hope doing it once on a few telly years ago. I thank God it wasn't one of mine. This was kind of song that stayed with you once you heard it. <laughs> like, like, goo. like what? Like a big poop that you can't get out of your butt. It says uh, Beatles fanatics. That's how it stays with you. That's how it stays with you. It stays with you like oh, I can't get rid of this shit. <laughs> So you can't get up. You're you're constipated. You're saying. Yeah, and and and, and my and, and 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 my butt is full of this song called Rocky Raccoon. <laughs> it says for Beatles fanatic to simulate Daniel's gunshot fired at Rocky, at, at Rocky, Rigo hit a snare drum at 1:49 in the song. All right, and then we get into a Richard Starkey song, which is Ringo Starr. Don't pass me by. What do you think of this one? Hmm. Huh? What do you think of Don't Pass Me By? Oh, um, I guess it just passed me by. No, um, actually, it's, um, I like it better than Rocky Raccoon, but only, on, only that much. It's not a great song. Yeah, I don't really care for it. I like it when other people did cover songs out of it, because they sped it up. Oh, okay. The song should be faster and more bluesy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And it's Ringo's only only song on here. Yeah, it says Don't Pass Me By was the first solo composition by Ringo. He wrote it when he was fiddling with the piano at home. I wrote Don't Pass Me By when I was sitting around at home. I only played three chords on the guitar and three on piano. It was a great to get into my first song down. One that I had written. In fact, it had been several years since R Ringo had tried to record it. <laughs> hmm. Uh, wow. And it says at the 148 mark, you could hear an alarm clock and Ringo counting on eight beats before th the break, which could be heard at 239. Oh. All right. Why not at noon or six o'clock or any of those times? I Why? What does it have no to be 239? <laughs> I don't know. Ringo songs, I... I are always childish to me, so I, I... I like Octopus's Garden, though. I think that's a good song. It's a good... I like his songs, but I like it when other people do it, like uh, Joe Cocker doing A Little Help for My Friends. <laughs> oh, I, I he would have been good doing Octopus's Garden. Octopus's Garden in the shade. Hey, <laughs> right on, man. <laughs> All right, and then we get to the next song that you picked, Don't Pass Me By. No, so, I wouldn't have picked that. I thought you... Oh, no, you put... 
why don't we do it in the road? We just did Don't Pass Me By. So here's why yeah. don't we do it in the road? <laughs> I, I, would, I would pick that. Yeah, you did pick it. I was a little okay. confused. Okay. All right, here's uh, why don't we do it in the road by the Beatles and the Freeform Rock Podcast. Why don't we do it in the road? was why don't we do it in the road why'd you pick that track now this one sounds to me like where you'd hear him being more solo like it you know whereas some of the other songs even though they might have only been one guy in the group they sound like a Beatles song this actually only sounds like a Paul McCartney solo song but but it's good he he's good on all of the instruments you know um this would have been also great on his album mccartney the solo album with the bowl of cherries or the cherries outside of the bowl it's it's really hot and i really dig it yeah it's a cool track and he actually recorded this which is him and ringo yeah paul did vocals bass piano acoustic lead guitar hand claps and ringo did drums and hand claps and yeah. the genesis of the song, how do how do songs come to singers? Sometimes the simplest way. One, do- hmm. one day Paul was meditating alone on the roof of the Marikashi's ashram in India when he saw two monkeys copulating, having sex. Surprised by the rapidly and simplicity huh. of this natural scenario, he realized that animals do not bother for- with formalities as we do uh. humans. Oh. Humans do, and he later said, "Why don't we do it in the road?" Was a primitive statement to do with sex, or to do with freedom? Really, I like that. Huh? Yeah, that's. But cool. if we were out there to get naked and do it in the road, we'd have the cops on us and think we're crazy. <laughs> huh? Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Come here, baby. Let's 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 have sex in the middle of the street. Let's go, baby. Well, well, if, come on, come well, on, come on. Let's push it, push it. Yeah. Well, well, if you're in one of those, like, really, really remote towns way in the, like, the boondocks where only one car a day goes by, you know, you could 
you'd probably get away with it. <laughs> probably. But who'd yeah. want to? I'd like a comfortable bed or a nice nice rug to shag oh, on. Oh, yeah. Or at least some, if, if you're going to want your bed to be like gravel and asphalt, you know, then do that. You know, oh. you don't have to be out on the road just to paint your bed black and white and put a put like a a number on it like you're a, a you know football player or something and you know whatever <laughs> well if you were to do it on the road just think how your knees would be scraped up ouch mm. <laughs> yeah that's why they'd have to put a bed or a couch there and then make it all nice you know dress up in your proper suit put a really nice bed out in the middle of the gravel road and then do it yeah, I like I like that song. It was cool. And then we get into I Will. What do you think of this one? Um, I like that one. It it reminds me more of an early Beatles song. It, it sounds like some that would have been good on Rubber Soul. You know, I, I, I dig it. Yeah, it's a cool song. I dig it too. And it's just Paul, John, and Ringo playing on it. And right uh, on. it's mostly Paul. Paul had I Will as a melody for years, but he did not have lyrics to go with it. At the release of the White Album, he said in an interview that during the Hamburg years, the Beatles were not confined to rock and roll. The audience often, hmm. often solicited rumbas or mambas, mambos, hmm. and they had to yeah. adapt to the audience, which explained the diversity of their live repertoire. Paul could easily alternate between hard rock at such as Helter Skelter and Gentle Ballads as I Will, one evening in India, Paul and Donovan were together after a day of meditation. Paul played I Will for Donovan. They tried to write some words, Paul recalled. We kicked around a few lyrics. Something about the moon, but they, were very, they weren't very satisfactory, and I thought the melody was better than the words, so I didn't use them. I kept searching for better words, and I wrote my own set <laughs> in the end. Very simple words, straight love song words. Really, I think they were quite effective. It was still one of my favorite melodies I have ever written. Pretty cool. Hmm. Oh, right on. Then we get to the last track on side two. Julia, what do you think of this one? Well, my brother Steve liked that song, and so I've tried to like it, but it, it's like... Uh, yeah, it's okay. Uh, it's, I, it's okay. Um, I like it better than Rocky Raccoon. I'll put it to you like that. Man, you really hate Rocky Raccoon, don't you? Um, um, well, I'm, I'm trying not to talk about Bon Jovi this episode. Instead, I'm only going to talk about Rocky Raccoon. <laughs> Rocky Raccoon. I love that song, though. All right. Uh, I like Bon a, Jovi this is, better. This is a beautiful Please ballad. Please edit that out. This is a beautiful ballad by John. was written in India. was without a doubt response to Paul's Blackbird. John used the style of finger-picking that Donovan had taught him in India and composed Julia and Dear Prudence immediately afterwards. Julia was written for his mother, whose death when he was a teenager significantly affected him. In 1980, interview, he said, I lost her twice when I was five, and I moved to my auntie, and when she, was phys and when she physically died, I was 17. She was killed by an off-duty cop who was drunk. And it says, Julia oh, wow. remained present in his life, in his art, inspired many songs. Julia, mother, and my mummy's dead was last released on his first solo John Lennon and Plastic Ono Band. Hmm. And, wow. And he named his first son Julian in the memory of his mother Julia. That's pretty cool. Oh, okay. And it says for Beatles fanatics, there is no other solo song by John in the Beatles discography because this was only done by John. 
He did the whole song by himself. Oh, okay. Says the 32nd song. Julia was 32nd song and the final song recorded for the Beatles' White Album. Two songs completed during the sessions were not included in the album. Not Guilty by George and What's the New Mary Jane by John. So we get Hmm. flipped. We go to the next record. Take the next record out of its sleeve and we get to side three. And we start with the raucous birthday. What do you think of this one? I like that one. I, I think it's um, one of the best songs on the album. And yeah. I agree, um, man. I, 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 I used to... I, 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 I couldn't really do justice to when I played on piano, but I tried. But I... I, I I, I might have tried playing it on drums and and singing, and I, I I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a cool song. It's a it's a song I send to everybody on their birthday sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I love it. You say it's your birthday, no 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 no. It's got a freaking cool riff, uh, riff to it. It freaking just yeah. rocks. And Paul was vocal, bass, piano, lead guitar. John vocal, lead guitar. George lead guitar, bass, vocal, tambourine. Ringo drums and hand claps. Mel Evans hand claps. Patty Boyd, Yoko Ono backing vocal. Even with Yoko Ono's backing vocals, this song still kicks ass. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and this is for Beatles fanatics. When Paul sings "Dance" at at 2:08 mark, we hear the end of the previous take in the background, and the result is "Dance." <laughs> huh. Yeah, wow. It's, it's, <laughs> pretty cool song man I, lo- I love this song it's a classic and Paul still sings it in concert to this day right on and then we get to the next song Your Blues what do you think of this one um I don't like this version of it um they they do it on the classic Ono Band live piece in Toronto album and that's the one that I heard first and that's great this sounds like they're tired sounds like like well if you hear the other version you'll you'll understand what i mean but but this sounds like it could have been a good song but he was trying to say in the words how he was feeling while he did it like as if he was all feeling dead and doped up and didn't want to put any effort in it that's what i think about this version but the other one is really good. Well, you know he performed this on the Rolling Stones TV special, consisted of John Lennon, Eric Clapton on lead guitar, Keith Richards on bass, Mitch Mitchell on drums, a dream super group to perform Your Blues. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, I think it was their circus special, right? Where they had a... Yeah, yeah. I um, I saw it. Yeah, that I like that better. It says, for Beatles fanatics, an excellent version of Your Blues was recorded on September 11, 1968 by Dirty Mac, a one-time English supergroup, The Rolling Stones. The album was for the event, released on CD and VHS in 1996. The DVD followed in 2004. John was on vocals, I already said that. But it's mm-hmm. pretty cool, man. I like it. It's a cool track. I like I like it. It, it grooves. And then we uh. get into the next song, Mo- Mother Nature's Son. What do you think of this one? Uh, I don't, I don't dislike it. I, 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 I kind of like it. I, I kind of like it. It's, 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 
it's a song I don't always remember, but no, I I do like it. I think it's a cool jam. Yeah. It's only Paul. He yeah, well, himself. that's all right. When Mother Nature's Son was inspired by the lecture of, of nature by the Mariachi Yogi in mm. India, Paul finished writing the song at his father's house in Liverpool. He was influenced by Nat Key Cole's 1948 recording of the song Nature Boy, which was mm. a major hit. Oh, wow. So then This we... song doesn't have anything to do with that one as far as if you listen to both of them. They're totally different. But it's it's a cool I, cool thing cool inspiration and then we get into everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey what do you think of this one i like that one a lot you know that that reminds me of some i would write i used to write songs like that um i, I wrote a song uh, I, I wrote songs that have the the animals and monkeys and then and stuff and yeah I like it. I, I wish I'd written it. Yeah, this is a great jam. I love this song. It fucking kicks ass. Uh, yeah. John was vocal, rhythm guitar, hand claps, Paul, bass, fireman's bell, backing vocal, hand claps. George, lead guitar, lead guitar, <laughs> backing vocals, hand claps, Ringo drums, maracas, and hand claps. And uh, for Beatles Fanatics, Fats Domino released a cover of Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey in 1969, and John liked it. I didn't cool. know that. Did you know that? I, I didn't. We should go look at that and see what's cool. Yeah. See if it's yeah. Cool. Everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey is the longest title in the Beatles discography. John loved the sentence, which is about his relationship with his new girlfriend, Yoko Ono. Huh. <laughs> well, calling her a monkey, that that's kind of weird. But I know. He's, he's yeah. a racist. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Everybody says you say something, you're a racist now. All right, well, let's get Animalist. out of it. Animalist. Animalist. Yeah. He likes monkeys. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not going to get into anything. I might go all right, crazy. All right. <laughs> all right, let's get into the next song, Sexy Sadie. What did you think of this one? I, I really don't know what I think of it. It's it's uh, it's there. Um, I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's, 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 it's like wallpaper. It's like if it's on, I, I can listen to it. It. It's it's not the worst song, but it it really doesn't do anything for me either way. I agree with you. It's a cool song. It's an album track. I don't really hate it or dislike it. But for Beatles fanatics, the opening lines were inspired by Smokey Robinson's song "I've Been Good to You" in 1961, which begins, "Look what you have done. You made a fool out of someone." Mm. John's opening lines in "Sexy Sadie," "What have you done? You made a fool of everyone." Huh. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Right on. And then we get into the metal song on this album, Helter Skelter. What do you think of this one? I actually think that I should like it more than I do. It's a heavy song, but to me, um, I, I prefer stuff like the the you know the the feedback version of Revolution and. And and then I prefer, you know, some of the other songs, um, like Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey. I, I prefer them. I, I think, though, that when they talk about it being like Paul Wanderai's song, Like the Who, I would have wanted to hear them do it, because to me it sounds more like a song that the Who would be able to do really well. 
Yeah, I love this song. I love the Motley Crue version of this song. Both songs are killer. You know? I like that. I, I like the Motley Crue version better by a long shot. Paul wrote a killer riff, man. That is a metal riff right there. When you get to the top, you go back to the top of the slide. It's like, it's totally metal, man. Yeah, it it sounds kind of out of tune, and and, and it sounds kind of like, um, you know, industrial noise, but it's, I I understand. Yeah, this is a freaking awesome song, and uh, I love this song. It took 21 takes. Everybody was on this song. Just before, uh, for Beatles fanatics, just before Ringo started screaming, I got blisters on my fingers. John could be heard in a distance asking, how's that, in 424, to find out if his colleagues enjoyed his sax solo. <laughs> hmm. John did sax? Oh, wow, John did saxophone on this song. And it says, the Genesis Pete Townsend had been quoted in Melody Maker as describing the Who's new single, I Could See for Miles, at the loudest, rawest, dirtiest, and more, most uncompromising uncom- song they'd ever done. Paul said, "Just that one little paragraph was enough to inspire me to make me to make me make a move." So I sat down and wrote "Helter Skelter" to be the most raucous <clears throat> vocal, the loudest drums, etc., etc., etc. He said, "1968. I had this song called Helter Skelter, which is just a ridiculous song." So. We did it like that because I like noise. The results met his expectations, and Helter Skelter would be considered one of the first, one of the very first hard rock songs in history. When Paul actually heard the Who single, he dis- he was disappointed to find out he was not as dirty as he expected. <laughs> and it says, there's some things. This is the Four Horsemen of Apocalypse. In August 1969, Charles Manson became infamous by leading the followers of his hippie community, the family, to commit seven murders, including the killing of Sh- actress Sharon Tate and the wife the wife of director Roman Polanski, who was eight months pregnant. Manson, a fan of the Beatles, thought he deciphered messages in the White Album. He was convinced that Helter Skelter prophesied the rise of the, of the black community in the near future, and the other song like Piggies and Revolution No. 9, concealed occult messages that he interpreted based on chapter 9 of the book of revelations for him the beatles were none other than the four horsemen of the apocalypse no wonder somebody told me when i said i got this album i said don't don't go commit murders (laughs) damn are you there lee yeah all right well let's get into the next track which you picked long 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 so here's long 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 on the freeform rock podcast
Okay, that was long, long, long. Why'd you pick that track? Because it's weird, and 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 over time, it's it's actually really cool. It's like you have to kind of grow into it, but then after after a while, um, it's 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 like um, really really interesting how it's like a total song to get drunk on. In fact, the 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 rattling at the um, end of the song is a ball of blue nun wine that was rattling on the speakers. Cool. It says, George's fourth song on the White Album was initially called It's Been a Long, Long Time. This beautiful ballad full of tenderness and emotion was inspired by George's growing religious faith. The you in a long, long is God. He said simple words for a clear message george moves stylistically from the music and the lyrics of piggies and savard truffle musically the song sad-eyed lady of the lowlands by bob dylan supplied him with a harmonic foundation that he adapted d to e minor and a to d those three chords and the way they moved and it says long 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 was george harrison's fourth song on the white album it was about to express his religious concerns hmm so then we get into, we turn this over to side four, and we get into Revolution One. What'd you think of this one? I like the heavier remixed one better than this. This is like boring. Um, I, I I think that you know how Kiss did see when you dreams, and then Gene wanted to do it for his solo album, and it wasn't as good. It's like they did a single of this that was really hot and then John wanted to do it the way he originally wanted to do it and he was kind of like the Gene Simmons at that moment. You know, it, it wasn't as great. I love this song, but I like it when other people do it and speed it up. <laughs> it's kind of drags a little bit, but it's a great song. And it says for Beatles fanatics. Yeah, well, I like it when it's speeded up. Uh, for Beatles okay. fanatics, Jeff Emmerich exclaimed, "Ah, take two at the beginning of the track, contrary to take eighteen that Mark Lewison heard." Uh, John wrote this song. It was the first and last time in the Beatles' career that one song had three different versions: Revolution Number no. One, Revolution Number no. Nine, and Revolution. The first two appeared on the White Album, while the last one was a B-side and Hey Jude single. Originally, Revolution One lasted ten minutes and seventeen seconds, with the final six minutes totally ablived and Yoko's whispering. I like the revolution on the B-side. That's the best one, I think, not on this album. I think it's a little bit faster, yeah. isn't it? The one um, on the B-side of Hey the, Jude? The, yeah, yeah, that, that's the one that I grew up with and I loved. Yeah, this one's a little slow and it drags. I like the revolution. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then we get into Honey Pie. What do you think of this one? Um, I like 1920s style music. And, and I think it's good um, in that style, but I really, I kind of don't like this song. Um, I, I think that, I, I think that it's, it's um, I'd rather hear Hokey Carmichael. I, 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 I think Paul should just stick to more modern stuff, because when he gets cute, when he does like when I'm 64 or when he does Honey Pie, it it, it just sounds um, too cute for me. It, it it doesn't it doesn't sound like 
like Cole Porter or Hoagie Carmichael. It, it sounds it sounds it sounds fake, but but that's me. Well, it says uh, that he was a great fan of vaudeville style. His attraction to music halls was already obvious till there till there was you. And then when I'm 64, he confided in 1968, I would quite like to have been in the 1920s writer because I like that thing, you know. Yeah, you're kind of right. Yeah. It's a cool song, but it's not something I'd skip, but it's cool. I'd rather hear like a rockin' song. And it says yeah. the Beatles fanatics, an old, guitar so an old guitar solo that was not deleted properly can be heard at nine seconds in the song. Oh, okay. And then we get into Savoir Truffle. What do you think of this one? Uh, I like it. I, I, I think I think that um, to me it sounds like he was trying to write his own version of Glass Onion. And um, for that reason, it's probably one of George's best songs on here. But I, 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 I always kind of feel like when I hear this, I'm thinking about Glass Onion. But no, it's it is good, but but it, it 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 sounds more like like a imitation of another song than its own thing. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Lee. It was a cool song, but it's not one of my favorites off this album. But it's cool, and it says for Beatles fanatics, some musical instruments were not mentioned in the recording sheets. Mark Lewison wrote them down, including an acoustic guitar that briefly appears at thirty-six seconds. A second backing vocal in the second and fourth co couplets, most likely by Paul, and finally electric piano, probably a uh, Horner pianet, was present right into the intro and returned to the end of the first couplet. Chris Thomas stated in the interviews that he was the performer on the piano as well as the organ. Huh. Let's see. Now we'll get into the next track, which is Cry Baby Cry. What do you think of this one? This is weird because I, I actually like it, um, but what happened was a lot of times when I would listen to it, my album would skip or someone would knock on my door and I would have to hear it over again and it started making me want to yell at someone, cry baby cry, make your mother die, um, um, put the pen in the poop or whatever, cry baby cry, cry baby cry, stick your mother's eye, do the little tutu, cry baby cry. I felt like doing that, but I didn't, but... I like the song. Yeah, I like this song too. Cry Baby Cry was composed by John John in India. This song with Alice in Wonderland atmosphere was partly inspired for tra traditional English nursery rhyme, Sing a Song Sixpence, which the queen was in the parlor eating bread and honey in the nursery rhyme, and the queen was in the parlor playing piano for the children of the king in John's lyrics. Among the characters hmm. of the song, there were some doucheness of Kirk Clady, whose name was perhaps chosen after the Scottish city of the same name where the Beatles had played on October 6, 1963 at the Carlton hmm. Theater. And uh, George Martin played the harmonium on this. Hmm. Oh, okay. It says a ghost thing at exactly 2.34, a brief so song by Paul lasting 28 seconds mysteriously followed by Cry Baby Cry 150 originally. Oh. Though it was part of the same recording, it wasn't mentioned on either record or cover of the record itself. Paul could be heard singing acoustic, with acoustic guitar, Can You Take Me Back Where I Came From? Can You Take Me Back? Accompanied by Ringo on cymbals and, and 
maracas and John beating a piece of wood against a some metal. <laughs> a sort of ghost piece. In fact, it was improv improvisation done on September 16th during take 19 of I Will. Huh, cool. And then we get to the worst song I've ever heard in my fucking life called Revolution 9. What do you think of this piece of crap, Lee? Well, um, one word for it. Crap. But um, I, I, I do have an explanation about it for you. Um, have you ever heard anything by John Cage? No. Okay. Well, John Cage, his most famous piece is called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds. And that's a piece where a piano player sits down at the piano and stays perfectly still for four minutes and 33 seconds and doesn't play anything. And that's his most famous piece. But but, but um, he did some called Fontana Mix, and he did other stuff where he just did radio. Like, like it sounded like he had a recorder, and then he just turned on an old radio and just flipped the dial over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over until you get all these different little blips of sound. And he was considered um, unique. And um, people like the Velvet Underground really thought he was awesome. And John must have heard some of John Cage and decided that he was going to do his own kind of version of a John Cage piece. So it technically does have a uh, reason for being, like to, to show the more avant-garde, um, like sound concrete kind of stuff that was being done in music, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it just doesn't really work. And it's 8 minutes and 22 seconds of fucking crap. It's the longest yeah. song on this album. I think it's one of the longest songs I ever did. And it's freaking just speaking from Lena and Harrison, Ono and George <laughs> Martin. Fuck. <laughs> they, they must have been on some serious drugs. <laughs> well, he... He was, Lennon was the one who worked mostly on it, and and he insisted on putting it on the album, and that's the only reason why they were able to do it. Well, it says Revolution Number no. 9 was one of John's creations, as John admitted the song was influenced heavily by Yoko Ono, who was an avant-garde artist, like you said. Yoko was there for yeah. the whole thing, and she made decisions about which loops to use, and some were under her influence, I suppose. George participated in it, but not Paul or Ringo. The sound collage lasting 8 minutes and 22 seconds was not only the longest song the group had ever recorded, but one of, but was also one of the least typical, since it was avant-garde, college-leaning towards music concrete. Jo John created something unexpected for the Beatles. The events of 1968 prompted him to react to various protest movements. He was probably urged on by Yoko. That bitch. Sorry, Yoko. <laughs> I thought it was a painting in sound picture revolution, but I made a mistake. The mistake was that it was anti-revolution. The quotation went back to 1970 when she's defending it. It says the uh, Trump and Marx movements. It emphasized how much he fluctuated with every interview. His count me out in Revolution 1 indicated how certain he was about his commitments. Later, he denounced those radical movements. John was simply searching for authenticity. Paul hmm. did not want Revolution Number no. 9 on the album. On the album. <laughs> yeah. He took it very badly, especially since he was very much involved in avant-garde and had already created similar 
sound edit in January 1967 for the Carnival Light and London Roadhouse Theater. He had worked on it with the Beatles, but had never considered it work that would fit on a Beatles album. John, who always had the last word, demanded that Revolution Number no. 9 appear on the album. There was Beethoven's Ninth, and there was John's Ninth. Fucking hmm. Oh. John, I wish Paul would have won on this. We probably would have got two more songs. <laughs> Paul probably would have done a... He, when he did weird stuff, he actually did some good things. Yeah. It says... Um, John did not haphazardly insert number nine into his collage. The number nine had followed him through his childhood and all through his life. He granted it major significance with the help of Yoko who practiced numerology. <coughs> there were few examples. John was born on October 9th like his second son. I was born on October 9th too. Just to let you go, I was born on his birthday. Sean met... Sean, he met Yoko. This is Sean Lennon saying he met Yoko on November 9th. Brian Epstein also discovered the Beatles on November 9th. Abbey Road has nine letters. John died on December 8th in New York City, but at that time it was December 9th in Liverpool. And finally, Liverpool had nine letters. Wow. Yeah. But also, um, I heard that there was a disc jockey who was testing microphones and he was testing like number one and then number two. And then when he went to number nine, they just recorded him saying number nine. <laughs> I know, that's just weird. And then we get into the last track on this album, Good Night by Ringo Starr. What do you think of this one? I actually think that if this one song was just the only song on the album, it would have been a totally different album, but maybe a maybe an album that I would have liked better. Uh, it's it's totally not at all like any other song here. It it doesn't it doesn't quote fit unquote. But it's a good song. It's 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 a now that to me sounds like an old style twenties kind of ballad song, and Ringo sings well on it. And I think that if it was more like if it was on like a Linda Ronstadt album when she did songs and Nelson Riddle like What's New. I think it would have fit better on some like that. It doesn't really belong on this album, but on its own, I would not have minded having a whole Beatles album with songs that sounded like it. Yeah, I I like this song. It's a cool song, and it was vaguely inspired by Cole Porter's True Love. The song Goodnight was composed by John for his son Julian, who was then five years old. He let Ringo sing it. Everybody thinks Paul wrote Goodnight for me to sing. But it was John who wrote it for me. He got a lot of soul. John has. It was surprising that the author of Revolution, everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey, also composed this lullaby, according to Paul. John did not sing it himself because he did not want to tarnish his image. Well, I think it's interesting how Paul doesn't really do such great 20 songs, but John does. John doesn't really do good avant-garde, but Paul does. Yeah, I know. In between this, um, like we were talking about revolution, the revolution that I like and that everybody likes is revolution on the B side of Hey Jude, which they even admitted that the revolution one was kind of slow and they made it, made it more up tempo for, um, for let it be. So it's pretty yeah. cool. I like that version better. I do like the slower version, but I wish they would have put the up tempo version on this album. This is a great album. I got the three CD set with the Escher demos. I have not listened to the Escher demos, but I heard they're pretty cool. So you could hear the way the songs are being done, and it has what's new 
the Mary Jane, not guilty. It has polythene Pam circles, me, Mr. Mustard. You could hear them recording like the, um, getting uh, Abbey Road ready also. So it's pretty cool. Uh, so we have our yep. our pick, picks of the week. And this album, wait, wait, I forgot something. This album on the charts did very well and was critically acclaimed. Uh, in America, it was number one. In UK, it was number one. It was number one everywhere. Just to say, it was it was everywhere. It was number one, and it recharted in 1987 in Dutch, Japan, uh, UK, and in 2009 it recharted again. USA, where it went to top seven in pop catalog albums. Those mm. are pretty cool, and it was certified platinum. 19 times platinum in the United States. Mm. Wow, that's almost double gold, double uh, diamond. It probably will be now with this new uh, release. <laughs> so probably be twenty thousand yep. platinum. That's pretty, the Beatles are awesome, man. I I, I can't think of a group that uh, just sticks with you. You know, you always want to hear the Beatles. I love Rush, and I always want to hear Rush, but I always want to. I I start missing the Beatles, and I start missing Rush. You could tell they're my favorite two groups. Uh, oh yeah, pretty cool. And uh, you've, yeah, been, you've been I, listening to them longer than I have. You're a lot older than I am, I think. Oh, yeah. I, I listened to them when I was about one. Yeah. I listened. I started listening to them when I was seven. So you totally beat me on that. And then, yeah. And then we got our our songs of the week, picks of the week. Uh, I picked the Who Eminence Front to go along with the Beatles. Huh. <laughs> because I love that song. That's with Kenny Jones on, on drums. It's a pretty cool song. Oh, yeah. And Pete Townsend singing, I love that. And then you pick Novella, Follow, they're kind yep. of a newer band too. And yeah. I, I listened to that and I was thinking, Lee picks a lot of like 90s type alternative because you, for a person who likes psychedelic and early 70s and late 60s music, you pick a lot of uh, alternative <laughs> sounding music that would have been in the 90s. <laughs> Are you trying to blow my cover, dude? <laughs> I'm surprised you don't like Pearl Jam more. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm not going to answer. <laughs> All right, so here's our picks of the week: The Who, Eminence Fronts, Front, and Novella Follow. So until next time, we say adieu. Say goodbye, Lee. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Now let's get into the promos. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I wanna rock. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. You gotta fight for your right. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. We've got Bush. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That's right, bangers. Cold beer, hot women, loud music, and copious amounts of hairspray and spandex. Every Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, the Big Bushy Power Hour is the biggest party on that metal station.com. You haven't listened to Mars Attacks podcast? What are you waiting for, man? Host Victor M. Ruiz brings you all types of hard rock and metal-based podcasts. You'll find everything from music-based episodes, interviews, to series such as ultra-sexy classic album series, where some of your favorite musicians, producers, journalists, and show hosts comments on the albums that push the evolutionary chains of hard rock and metal. Get with it and go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out more. Punch it! Get blasted! From New York. Hey, 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 hey! What up, bangers? From North Carolina! Skitter Pal Meow Meow. This is Bushy. And the Mountain. Tune in every week for your listening pleasure only on the plug with Bushy and the Mountain Man. You can find us on Podbean and iTunes. Thank you very much! Hello folks, this is the rock sponge Terrence Reardon of the Terrence Reardon and Friends Podcast. Join yours truly every week as I look at a different classic rock and or metal album that had an impact on my life and or rock music in general, and I'm usually joined by a friend or two. And there's no country or rap or techno bullshit on the show, because I hate those fucking music genres. Techno and rap and country sucks. So if you want a kick-ass rock and roll podcast, check out the Terrence Reardon and Friends Podcast every week on YouTube, and now on Podbean and iTunes. So yes, folks, I'm available in two different, three different ways. Podbean and iTunes for the audio, and YouTube for the visual. Thank you very much. Hey, this is Lee Gerstmann, and if you like to hear some stuff that's like, you don't know what it's going to be, and even if it's stuff that I don't even know what it's going to be, check me out. On what I call the Lee Gerstmann Show. And it's just me doing reviews or me doing horsing around or whatever I'm doing. Check it out, please. You have just listened to the Freeform Rock Podcast. All music played on the Freeform Rock Podcast belongs to its owner. If you like it, go out and buy it. Get your music on Amazon, iTunes, or at your local record store. Support what you love. Support the artists by seeing them live. Purchase their music. The Freeform Rock Podcast is not affiliated with any of the artists or music that we play. Thank you for listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Until next time, stay free and rock on.